James chapter 4. Uh, it'll be up on the text for you or on the screen for you, uh, or you've got Bibles in your pew racks there. Um, so we're in James chapter 4, and we've come to this section where James deals with quarrels and fights and all that kind of stuff, and he ends with talking about submission to God, and I was going to do all of this in one section this morning. I decided that was going to get a little bit long, although I've got extra little extra time this morning. Um, so I'm just going to cover the first six verses, and then we're going to move on and talk about those last six verses on the Sunday after Easter. I'm not I'm going to break up from James for Easter Sunday, and we'll come back um, on April 8th, I believe, uh, to look at uh, James chapter seven or chapter four, verses seven through twelve. James starts this unit by asking this question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires of battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or hatred against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I've titled this message, Universe versus Universe. The first universe with the capital letters Y-O-U. Universe comes from the Latin word meaning one. And uh, verse Uh, means turned or combined. And so when you put it all together, universe is something that is combined into one big whole. And the scriptures are quite clear that when you talk about the universe, that it is God who holds and sustains the whole universe together. He created it. He made it. He holds it together as one big whole. But it is really easy, it is tempting for every one of us to put ourselves at the center of that universe and think the whole universe is all about us. With technology that we have today, that even becomes easier. It's easy for us to think that the whole world revolves around us, that we are the center of the universe. And, you know, anyone in Anywhere on the face of the earth can view us and view our thoughts and all of that. And it's never really been easier for people to be self-centered and narcissistic and all of those kind of things. And just think everything revolves around them. Palm Sunday is a perfect example of this text in James. The scribes and the teachers were living in their universe. That was all about them. (laughs) And when they heard people praising Jesus, 
When they saw people laying down their cloaks, when they saw people waving palm branches at Jesus, that just inflamed them because they wanted the whole world to be looking at them. They wanted someone to be laying down cloaks for them. They wanted the palm branches being waved at them. They wanted the praises of the people themselves. And they could not handle the fact that it was going to Jesus who actually created and actually sustains the whole universe. <laughs> it, inter- it, it irritated them to the extent that they were willing to kill Jesus over it. And they left Palm Sunday determined to kill Jesus. And it took them five more days to do it. That is the difference between living in a universe that we understand that God is the center of it and I am not, and living in a universe that we think the whole thing is there to serve me. Now, James starts this chapter out by saying, talking about fights and quarrels. Fights and quarrels are to be expected anywhere there are people. (laughs) And they are to be expected anywhere there are Christian people. Now, you probably haven't heard that before in a sermon. But I want you to stop and think about this for a little bit. He's not saying that that's necessarily a good thing. He's just stating a fact. And he's talking about Christians... In Jerusalem, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? So even among Christian people, you can expect there to be fights and quarrels. You go back to the Old Testament, you've got Cain, who has a brother named Abel. And they actually get in a fight and a quarrel over their offering to God. They're sacrificed to God. One is accepted, the other one is not. And instead of talking to God about this and dealing with it that way, Cain kills Abel. God's people. Some of his very first creations. Lot and his herdsmen quarrel with the herdsmen of Abraham very early in Genesis. And so they have to separate and all of that. Absalom, the son of King David, goes to war against his own father and tries to take the kingdom that has been given to King David away from him. You go to the New Testament. I mean, there's many, many more stories in the Old Testament. You go to the New Testament and you have the disciples, the twelve chosen by Jesus. He calls them, he designates them apostles, And they follow Jesus and they witness his life and all of that. And and it gets really close to Easter. And what are they doing? They are arguing about who is the greatest. Now, if there's any way to get in a good quarrel in a fight, just start that argument. (laughs) Who is the greatest between us? And so they're arguing about who is the greatest, and John and James 
you know, they want to go further than that. They want to ask, well, who's going to get to sit on the right hand of Jesus in heaven? Paul and Barnabas. Paul, the great missionary of the early church. Barnabas, the, the, one of the most gracious characters you will ever meet in the, Old Test, or in the New Testament. Had a, had a knack for just taking young people along with him and bringing them along and encouraging them and building them up in the faith and sending them out. And he would do this all kind of behind the scenes. Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement between them over Timothy. No, not Timothy, John Mark. John Mark had been a young man who had gone on a missionary journey with Paul, and John Mark wimped out, and he went back home. And Paul said, no more of this, I will never have anything to do with John Mark ever again. <laughs> they go to start the next missionary journey, Barnabas says to Paul, I want to take John Mark along. I want to give him another chance. Paul says, absolutely not. Will not do it. Won't have anything to do with it. <laughs> they had such a sharp disagreement over John Mark and what they do with John Mark that they split company and they went different paths and they hit different parts of the world. And John Mark was saved for the gospel and John Mark wrote the gospel of, John, of Mark. And Paul reached the whole mission field. And Paul trained someone else in missions and reaching out. And, and in the long run, it all worked out fine. But there was this moment where there was sharp disagreement between the missionary leader of the church and a man who just was gracious and, and saw hope in people that other people didn't see any hope in. And there was sharp disagreement between them. You go to the book of Corinthians. And the Corinthians were competing with each other. Suing each other in court. They would come to church to have communion. And, and, and potlucks. And some of the people that showed up early, they'd go through and get all the food that they liked before the other people showed up. They couldn't wait for people to pray. They couldn't wait for everyone to get there. And they would just jump in. And that's the kind of church that the Corinthians was. And Paul had to deal with all of that. Competing with each other and suing each other and all of that in the Corinthian church. Paul writes to the Galatians. And Galatians, you know, that church was dealing with legalism and judgmentalism and all of that. And Paul's word to describe that church was they are biting and devouring each other. That's not the kind of description I want said about us, is it? No. We, would, we wouldn't like that description, and yet that's exactly the description that Paul used talking about one of his own church plants. You are biting and devouring one another. Paul had a favorite church. It was the church at Philippi. It was a church that he just wrote glowing things about. It was joy-filled and there were wonderful things happening at Philippi. And in the last couple of verses in Philippi, Paul writes, and encouraged Syntyche and Phoebe, I think was her other the other name, to get along in the faith. 
<laughs> so even in this wonderful church at Philippi, there were these two women who absolutely could not seem to get along. And Paul says, encourage them to try to get along. <laughs> now, who is it? I want you to just stop and think about who it is that's writing this book to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's James. He is the leader of the early church. He is in Jerusalem. He's like the archbishop. <laughs> he is the top dog in the church. He has seen and witnessed about everything. He is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has witnessed a lot of fights and quarrels. And guess who he's witnessed them mostly by? It's not the world. It's not pagans. He has witnessed most of the fights and quarrels within the church by Christians. And he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Not people out there. What causes fights and quarrels among you who are saved, redeemed, sanctified? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Notice the, the words he uses in this passage. In just the first two verses, he's talking to Christians, and these are the words he uses. Fights, quarrels, battle, kill, covet, fight and quarrels. Quarrels and fights. Excuse me. Hmm. That suggests to me that wherever you have people, even Christian people, you're going to have fights and quarrels. Because <laughs> it's all throughout the Scripture. Everywhere you go in Scripture, there's fights and quarrels because you have people together. We can go into a battle with each other over all kinds of things. We can go into war over class. Some people have more wealth than other people, and other, you know, and some people have more prestige than other people. All those kind of things can cause um, some friction. You can get in a battle over employment matters. Just think, you know, the big big thing that is. Hitting the screens again, is, is, it's time for, you know, teacher um, unions and all of that to, to battle up again and, and uh, get involved in strikes and all of that kind of stuff. Or favoritism at work. Some people are highly favored and allowed to do this, while other people at work, they can't do that. It's not okay for that person, all that kind of stuff. There's all those issues that pop up at work. Sometimes we get in battles, we go to war with each other because there's just simply a failure to communicate effectively. You want something, but you don't really communicate that clearly what you wanted and you didn't make sure that they heard it and understood. In the church, we can go to war with each other over church philosophy. How far do we go over this with this? How rigid do we get how merciful do we get? We can fight over philosophy and, and who should be allowed in the church. And, uh, you know, do they have to be saved before they walk in the doors? Uh, there's all kinds of philosophical questions that we can fight over in the church. Or how about church positions? That's, it's time for a local church conference here. 
um, within weeks here. Or what about power in the church? All of those kind of things. Or here's another one. When spiritual discernment turns into judgmentalism that comes across as though you are God. (laughs) And you know it all. And all of that. Well, the scriptures are very, very clear that there are some things that are worth fighting for. It's interesting to me that there is nothing in Acts that would suggest that it was wrong for Barnabas and Paul to have that disagreement. It wasn't a peaceful time in the church. It wasn't an easy time in the church. It may not have been you know, what everyone would have desired to have happened in the early church, but I don't see anything in Acts that tells us that God frowned upon that disagreement. It's just simply a matter of fact that there was a fight and a quarrel over whether we take John Mark and give him a second chance or whether we don't and move forward in the best interest of the kingdom. The scriptures do not teach a peace at any price mentality. You will not find that in the scriptures. So within each family, within each church, within each people group, within each political party, within each nation, there are people with different desires from each other. In the Timmons household, there's only six of us. And you would think we could have some similar desires (laughs) that would be predominant. (laughs) But a lot of times, our desires are radically different among the six of us. And we can have fights and quarrels because we view things differently and we have different desires and, and we want this and someone else wants that and all of those kind of things. So the scriptures are clear that um, we're not to have just peace at any price, but the scriptures are also clear that we have to guard our hearts, the way we process our feelings. We have to make sure that when we go into a battle, that it is a battle that God wants us to fight. And not a battle that we just appoint ourselves to because of selfish desires that are within us. So James goes into this and he talks about the desires that battle within us. The reason you find fights and quarrels wherever people are found is that all people have desires. And they are different from each other. James uses the word here, hedoni, from which we get our English word hedonism. And hedonism is simply living for our own pleasure and for our own happiness. Now, if you have a desire, you presume that you are going to be most happy if your desire gets met. And so you're going to fight for that. Someone else has an opposite desire in the same family or same church or same group or same political party. They have a a different desire. And you're going to fight for that desire. 
The most natural thing is for each one of us to do what will bring me the greatest happiness. The spiritual thing is to do the will of God. The prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 is a hedonist. He lives for his own pleasure without any respect for the rest of the world, without any respect for his family, without any respect for his dad, without any respect for his elder brother, without any respect to what's best for the family farm. He just lives for himself. And he went off, took his share of the inheritance, and he went off and spent it freely on himself without any consideration for anyone else in the family, without any consideration for the best of the farm or any of that. He just lived for his own pleasure. And James says, we want something. We all have desires. Sometimes we don't communicate those desires very clearly. Sometimes we don't help others get what they want, so they're not willing to help us get what we want. We end up not getting what we want, so we seek revenge. We become bitter and we become envious. We arm ourselves for battle. We do not pray, and when we do pray, we only pray long enough to ask God to get on our side so that we can get our way. Sometimes we even use religion in our fights and our quarrels. We veil our religious quarrels under the guise of being more spiritual than the person we're fighting with. Miriam and Aaron did that. They quarreled with Moses. And, and what they really wanted was to have the same level of respect. Their desire was to be respected like Moses, to have his power, to have his influence among the Israelites. That's what they really wanted. But they couldn't just say that. So they went after him as though they were more spiritual because they hadn't married a Cushite. And they criticized Moses because of his Cushite wife. And they just appeared to be more spiritual than Moses. But in reality, they were just jealous of the authority that Moses had. James and John, the disciples of Jesus, would sit. They argued about who would sit beside Jesus in heaven. They didn't really care about that. What they really wanted is for Jesus to say, yeah, you two are going to sit beside me and you're better than all the other disciples. And they wanted to be elevated up above the other ten disciples. And they used spirituality in their fight with other people. And James says you have to be careful with all of that. Now, James continues, and he says there are three enemies of God in your life that will affect the way you fight. (coughs) Friendship with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, we're going to deal with the devil 
uh, April 8th or whenever I get to it and submission and all of those issues coming up in James. Um, but we're just going to look at friendship with the world and, and the flesh today. Now, I've talked to you about, you know, friendship with the world. Hedonism is, is really, it comes down to friendship with the world. I just want to get the most joy I can get out of this world. I want to use everything the world has to offer to satisfy me and make me happy. And hedonism basically says that I believe the world can make me happier than, than God can. And so we began to toy with things. We began to look outside the boundaries of what we know God's will is for us to be able to find that satisfaction. Hedonism, he said, uh, James says, you adulterous people. Hedonism is spiritual adultery because once we're saved, once we've given our lives to Christ, we are married to him. And we are unfaithful when we begin to look at other things to bring satisfaction to our lives other than obedience to God. A great biblical example of this is Lot, who pitched his tent, the scripture says in Genesis, pitched his tent in Sodom and Gomorrah. Even though there were wicked cities, that's where Lot went to. That's where he pitched his tent. And pretty soon it was destroyed by God. And, and you know, Abraham went to rescue him and, and uh, you know, argued with God about, you know, if there's five people, started with 50 and went all the way down. If there's five people there, would you spare that city? And there wasn't five people there <laughs> that were righteous. And God destroyed the city, but Abraham went in and pulled out Lot and his family. And on the way out, they were so attached to the satisfaction of the world that Lot's wife turned around because she was really more drawn to Sodom and Gomorrah than she was to the God of Abraham. And she looked back when she could have been rescued and she turned into a pillar of salt. That's the influence of the friendship with the world. And you and I need to be very careful that the things of the world don't become so alluring to us that we will compromise our character, we'll compromise our relationship with God, we'll compromise everything around us to have satisfaction and pleasures met in our life. Secondly, he talks to us about the lust of the flesh. The flesh is the NIV term for sinful nature. The King James calls it the carnal nature. Um, but that nature is, is basically the soul, the sum, to sum total of our, our mind, our thinking, our emotions, and the choices we make. That's what the soul does. Um, it does our thinking, it does our feeling, and it does our our choices, our decisions for us. And, and basically the soul without God, without any reference to God, is naturally inclined not to do what God wants us to do. <laughs> That's the nature of sin. Since Adam sinned and rebelled against God, the nature for us is, is we want to just rebel and go do our own thing. That's what the soul will do apart from consulting God and God's will. So you and I have to be very careful that we are led by the Spirit of God because we do have this sinful nature 
that doesn't want to pay respect to God. And we have to make sure that we're led by the Spirit of God instead of by our own soul. And we can't be the universe. We can't bring, you know, think the whole universe is here to serve me. No, we have to be led by the Spirit. Proverbs 3 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Talking there about your emotions. Lean not on your own understanding. Talking about your mind, the way you think. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, the choices that you make. So trust in the Lord with your soul, and He will make your paths straight. Now there's an interesting thing that James does here, because you don't expect James to talk about grace. You expect Paul to talk about grace. Paul talks about grace a number of times, but not James. James has often been viewed throughout church history as more of a legalist in the, the scripture and all of that. But here you find, in the middle of a passage about fights and quarrels, you find James referring to grace, and he simply says, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In our struggle against our own soul, against our sinful nature to disobey God, James says, God gives us grace. Grace. Strength. But there's an attitude... If you want grace to be effective in your life, there is an attitude of humility. If we are arrogant, we think we can do this on our own. If you think you can control your sinful nature without God's help, go for it. Just try it. Just try it for a week. Try it for a day. You can't do it. I can't do it. It is humility that we stand before God and know that without his help, I cannot control my sinful nature. <laughs> without the help of the Spirit, I will not live to please God. Without God's help, I will be drawn to the things of this world. And you and I, we have to be humble before God. We have to keep coming back to God and saying, God, you need to help me with this. You need to help me with my own sinful nature. The solution, then, to dealing with the flesh is simple submission to God and keep coming back to Him and saying, God, I'm yours. I'm going to live for you. Submission is voluntary obedience to, or, or a bending of your will to someone else, in this case, God. Submission is a military term um, that means to get in your proper rank. There are some people who are privates, there are some people that are corporals. There are some people that are sergeants. And all the different other rankings that go along with all that. But if you are a private and you try to exert the authority of a corporal, you're not going to go very far. Or if you are a, surgeon, a sergeant and you're trying to act like a private, you are not living up to what God has placed you. And so in this whole idea of submission, 
James is telling us that we need to live according to the, the rank that God has given to us. And part of that rank is remember who we are, that we're not the center of the universe, that he is. So, question is, who is the center of your universe? You or the one who created the universe? There is no time like a fight or a quarrel to lead a person to become the center of the universe and to fail to submit to God. <laughs> a lot of times when we fight and quarrel, we've just stepped out and we've tried to make ourselves the center of the universe again. So what, what do we need to know? Well, first of all, James would simply say to us, Fights and quarrels are part of life. And unfortunately, they are part of life for Jews and Christians and churches. That's, that's a fact. You'll find it all the way wove through the scriptures. In fact, if you took out all the fights and quarrels in scripture, we'd have a really, really short Bible to read. <laughs> it's full of it. Some things... In addition to that, some things are worth fighting for. There are some convictions, biblical convictions, that are worth fighting for. Even if it causes a fight and a quarrel. In the midst of them, we need to make sure that we are not using the universe for our own evil desires. And we need to make sure that we are fighting for God's will and not just something that I think is God's will. We need to check it out in the scriptures. We need to know that we're standing on firm ground. We need to be sure also that we are not arrogantly equating our desires with the will of God. It's awful easy for Christians to do that. Just to say, well, you know, I'm so spiritual that my desire must be God's will. And we become arrogant. And we cause even more fighting and quarrels. We need to be sure that we are fighting in the midst of that with Christian grace and character. And again, Barnabas and Paul, um, it was a sharp disagreement. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't fun. It wasn't pretty. And not one word in the scripture would indicate that there was anything wrong with that fight and quarrel. <laughs> they went after it, they settled it, and they split. So don't just assume, you know, because some of us, some of you, um, some of you just, you know, are such peace lovers that you would never cause a friction even when you should. And you don't stand up for convictions that you really should stand for. And at other times, there's other people that jump in too quick before they know it's God's will or they assume that their will is God's will. So all of that has to play in. So what should we do? Well, first of all, we need to reach out for God's grace. And James does that. He, 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 just, he points them back. In the midst of fights and quarrels, in the midst of dealing with selfishness, 
We have to reach out for God's grace and humility. And secondly, we need to submit to God. Now, in this week that we are in, you think about the Passion Week. There was a great deal of conflict in the last week of the life of Jesus. Wasn't there? His whole last week was all about conflict. People arguing, the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law, they were just trying to find something they could nail on Jesus. <laughs> there was fights and quarrels going on there. And what did Jesus do in the midst of that? He reached out for grace. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and reached out for God's grace. He spent time alone with God in prayer. And he submitted to God's will in the midst of that. He submitted to God's will. So Jesus gives us in the very last week of his life, leading up to Easter, the perfect example from James of reaching out to God's grace and submitting to God in the midst of the battle and the fight and all those disagreements that happen in our lives.